17 of these giant corporations that have over a trillion dollars of investment capital. So that's what I focused on was centralized capital. Um, and that those 17 have $41 trillion worth of, of investment capital um, in 2017. It's closer to 50 trillion now. Um, and they're managed by less than 200 people. You know, the world's a different place now. I mean, we have global military structures. NATO and the US have 800 bases worldwide. Um, and, and we're increasingly seeing private militarization. So G4S is the second largest employer in the world, um, based out of, out of London, has 625,000 um, employees. And so they're just behind Walmart in terms of private employees in the world. They're mercenaries, they're, they're guards. They run prisons, they run security systems. They had the dogs in North Dakota that were attacking the protesters up there on the pipeline. I mean, this is, you know, serious, repressive, militaristic police state control. I'm proud to share with you Tetragen, which helps you transition to a healthier, happier, and thinner you without cravings or side effects. Our metabolic hormones are the underlying problem that doom every diet and exercise program to fail. They control our metabolism, cravings, how much we eat to feel satiated, blood sugar levels, and even our energy levels. Tetragen is formulated with four clinically proven patented ingredients that help rebalance your metabolic hormones in roughly 15 to 20 days, depending on the amount of weight you want to lose. Once your metabolic hormones are rebalanced, you'll be on the path to long-term sustainable weight loss because Tetragen is the first in the world which is scientifically formulated with four clinically proven and patented active ingredients to help you reach your targeted weight in two distinct phases. Phase one, rebalance your metabolic hormones, and phase two, accelerate fat loss. The best part is that Tetradent comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose besides weight? Learn more with the link below. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Professor Peter Phillips coming to the show today, and he wrote the book, Giants, the Global Power Elite. And what he did is he spent a lot of time researching with his students. He uh, works at Sonoma University. He spent a lot of time figuring out what the global power elite structure is and who owns what. And they've narrowed it down to a couple hundred people that are running everything and all the money and the capital in the world, the majority of it. Obviously, there's not all the money they're running, but the majority of it. And, and then he also figures out who the, uh, what the, the organizations that are actually making policy. Yeah, you got the Bohemian Grove, you got Davos and Bilderberg, but he's talking about the you know, the, the groups that are actually making powerful decisions, they're actually making policy decisions and handing it down to the central banks. And it's pretty much a directions, directives to these people. So who are they and what groups are they? And you, his books get in there. He talks about that in, in today's show. And then I ask him, of course, well, who's behind them? Because a lot of times those are the ones running the show, 
but they're getting directions from others. And, you know, he talks about it a little bit, but it's very difficult to get to who actually is behind them, who's the actual owners. A lot of times they own most of it, but then there's some people behind them. And we talk about that and how hard it is to get to that information. The reason it's hard is because you can have a public company and you need to know the public companies, they have to share who owns those shares, but a public company can own, be owned by a private company. So the owner of that public company just shows it's this private company. Now a private company does not have to share who owns the majority shares in a private company. So you're not gonna get to who that owner of that private company is like if it's the Rothschilds or if it's you know the Pesors and all the, the you know the 13 families situation but this is a huge step at learning who's really running the world and the fact that it's getting down to a couple hundred people his book actually names names says who these people are and what these organizations are and I think it's a huge step in understanding at least the structure the global power structure and how this world is running from that standpoint and I want to warn you, I know there's a lot of people who disagree with like global warming and all that stuff. This interview is not about global warming. He has a different opinion on global warming than a lot of my listeners. I realize the science out there is, I think the science out there is bogus. There's obviously pollution and global change from pollution and other things. The point is, is this is not a show about global warming or global climate change or why it's occurring. So please don't comment on the whole bottom thing that anything about that. Okay. That's just a side note in a show. This is, has much bigger things that we're talking about. And, you know, getting to that, we can listen to people from all different walks of life. He, people have different political views, but we're all coming to the same conclusions on a lot of things. And I think you'll see that when you listen to him. And, you know, speaking about censorship, because we talk about that a little bit, my show is being heavily censored. It's actually getting pretty frustrating. I gotta, I gotta tell you, it's hard to stay motivated when I get so few views. You know, my, my shows are, I mean, I, you know, I, they'll get to 10,000. Some of them will get to over 20,000. But I used to have shows that'll get over 100,000, you know, up to 150. I don't get those anymore. And my subscribers are, the only time that my subscribers have gone negative was over the last couple of months. It took me about 22 months to get to 99,600 subscribers. And now it's going to take me four months to get another 400 subscribers. I've never been this, obviously I'm being censored. It's very frustrating. It's actually demoralizing. And so I'm working at spreading out, getting on different platforms. My podcast, on the other hand, has had the highest numbers it's ever had. So I do have podcasts. I'm going to grow that. I'm going to, but think about, please, about sponsoring my show on Patreon. I have exclusives there, eBooks. Um, I'm always publishing there. And my website, if you can go to my website, sign up for my newsletter. And I get all that information. I share with you all the newest shows. And I'm going to start really uh, focusing on spreading my wings past YouTube because I don't have a choice. And um, if they're going to censor me like this, um, you know, I should be spreading up my wings anyways, and I am, but I got to really realize that YouTube might be a short-lived situation for me because if they're censoring me to this degree, I, who's to say they won't just turn me off? So uh, it's, it's very demoralizing and hard to deal with. But let's get into my interview now with Peter Phillips. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sarah. Glad to be here. You have an amazing book called Giants, the Global Power Elite. And it 
you you did a lot of research and I wanted to talk about that of who what the companies are, who the companies are, who the board members are, and who are actually running all these companies. Can you talk about what research you did to actually come up with this global structure of power? Well, we have been sociologists have been talking about the transnational capitalist class and the global power elite for around 20, 30 years now. Um, and then that emerged out of the tradition of C. Wright Mills and the power elite studies that were done in the United States here in the 60s and 70s. And the 70s had a crisis in, in terms of capital profits in major corporations. And the response to that was globalization, it was an expansion of global capital worldwide, investments elsewhere, um, you know, the relocation of plants for cheaper labor, all of that that occurred over the last three decades that have built a centralized capital structure uh, based on mostly Western nations, but many other nations in the world, but it's dominated by um, US and European um, companies. Uh, and a vast accumulation of cash. So very rich people, you know, we have 2,400 billionaires, the 36 million millionaires in the world. Um, it's still only, you know, less than, uh, you know, of 1%, um, actually smaller than that, of the total world population. So that mass inequality, that money, that capital is managed by giant investment companies. And that's uh, like BlackRock, uh, JP Morgan Chase, and those, they'll have multiple trillion dollars worth of investment capital. So they're representing and holding the money and investing it that belongs to billionaires and millionaires all over the world. And there's 17 of these giant corporations that have over a trillion dollars of investment capital. So that's what I focused on was centralized capital. Um, and that those 17 have $41 trillion worth of, of investment capital. Um, in 2017, it's closer to 50 trillion now, um, and they're managed by less than 200 people. Less so than 200 we, people are running that the, yeah. on the boards of directors. So they're making the policy decisions of where to invest, where not to invest, um, and they they're responsible. They're the board of directors are responsible for these giant um, investment management companies. So that's that's a very small number of people. Yeah, it's extremely it's small. Amount of capital. We start talking about $50 trillion there. Now, what percentage of the global capital are they running? Did you get to that? Well, there's about $250 trillion of, of wealth in the world. Um, a lot of that is tied up in buildings and um, fixed assets and that. So when it gets right down to the cash, um, it's clearly near near half, if not more than half. Well, and the people who have that consolidated cash, how much of the tied up assets do they own as well? Well, the, the I would assume that it's a great percentage. Well, you take a look at at, at Jeff Bezos, who's the richest man in the world. Um, most of his wealth is stock in 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 his company and. So the giants all have huge investments in, in Silicon Valley 
and all of the and all of the investment giants. So that they have driven up the value of his stock immensely. Um, because so, they invest in each other and drive each other's stock up. And they invest up. in each other. And they invest, the, the, the biggest problem with global capital today, it, it has, doesn't have enough places to invest for a safe return. So that leads them to speculative investments like the subprime mortgage crisis, which we're kind of getting back to now because uh, they started rebundling mortgages again. Um, and that, that nearly collapsed the entire system. There was trillions of dollars of, of money that was created for the central banks worldwide, not just in the U.S., multiple trillions here, but worldwide, uh, to bail out the central banks, the main banks, uh, from that crisis. I mean, we almost lost the entire system. So they're very aware of that. And so they're very you know, careful to try to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But they have a problem. That is, there's not enough safe places to invest capital for a guaranteed return. So the results of that are, are, are twofold. But one, capital is invested in privatizing public, public uh, areas like water and freeways and universities and, and any, anything that can, can draw a return. The second big area of using capital profitably is war. So these giant companies are engaged in war production, um, some of the privatized companies engaged in war um, that gives them a return on their capital. So those are two of the big areas, a privatization of literally everything and, and continued war, permanent war in the world uh, as, you, as a way of using up excess capital. Well, and, and that's obvious. We're like on, we're at war nonstop. Now, when yes, you- that's, And that's one of, this is one of the, structural reasons why. I'm proud to offer another great product, ProxyStem Stem Cell Pro. This amazing product supports eight areas of stem cell health, including the AMPK gene, which in a UCLA study, researchers showed in an animal model that by increasing the amount of AMPK in the body, they can increase a healthy lifespan by approximately 30%. mTOR inhibition. The mTOR inhibition has extended mouse mean lifespan by 33%. Also, biogenesis. The additional PQQ triggers mitochondrial biogenesis, which increases the number of mitochondria in your cells. These are the powerhouses of your cells. The energy-hungry brain and heart is believed to benefit greatly from PQQ. ProxyStem ingredients also increases the amount of telomerase protein that cells make when they are in a state of telomerase activation. With all the healthy cell benefits, this formula is the most advanced formula we have seen on the market. Also, with RevGenetics' brand new formula, it comes in a lower price. This means you're getting the best price anywhere for this product. Click the link below to see studies and to buy yours today. Well, yeah, and now when you did your research too, did you actually, did you go in and kind of look at their actions? Now, do they ever take a pause and say what's right for humanity versus just how to make money? They had these conversations at Davos, um, at the Bohemian Grove, at places where there's what I call the giant intersections of capital. Uh, they, they worry about um, an, another crisis. They worry about the precariat, the working class people who are in decline. 
Uh, they worry about civil unrest and revolution worldwide. So, yes, they're constantly engaged in that. And some of them are worried about the environment, which was the other big area uh, that this kind of concentrated wealth is affecting. Because less than 100 companies are, are putting out 70% of the global warming gases. And um, so, and they're all invested in them. So it's oil companies and, and, and that. So um, they are fully aware that they, what they are doing is contributing to uh, environmental extinction um, for the human race if we push it far enough. And some are worried about that and they think about their grandkids and their grandkids. Um, but for the most part, they feel kind of trapped in this, we have to grow, we have to continue to expand. And the general philosophy of that is if we can grow capital enough, uh, it'll trickle down and save the whole world. And that's simply not happening. 80% of the people in the world live on less than $10 a day. Half the people in the world live on less than $3 a day. And you have 30,000 people a day dying from starvation and malnutrition let alone the heat waves that are going in on in India right now and elsewhere around the world. I mean, the environmental impacts. So you're noticing that the middle class is shrinking as well, and we're not pushing the middle class, isn't being pushed down to the poor to increase the middle class, it's actually shrinking, which is... Well, the middle class, the inequality that's occurring, there's 20% of the people in the world who have what we would call a middle class lifestyle. Um, you know, they can have maybe buy a house or have an apartment and a car and that. And, and the rest of the world is, you know, 80 percent um, are just getting by barely. And it's that 20 percent where there's an increasingly greater inequality within that group as well. So the wealth is concentrated in that upper one percent in a very massive way and to be in that upper one percent. It takes $770,000 worth of assets, and then you're in the upper 1%. How much um, does it take? 770000 Okay. That'll put you in the upper 1% of the world elite. But the difference between you with 770000 yeah, and somebody with millions or billions is immense. Yeah, I mean, you're not really in the... I wouldn't say it's the upper 1%. I'd say it's the upper 1% of 1%. I mean, it's exactly yes. It's one thousandth of one percent of the multi-millionaires and billionaires who are really controlling the global capital, and they're doing it through these giant investment companies that help them find places to get a return um, that will, in the three to ten percent range, that they feel you know that they want to continue to see happen. Now, so, in in you know, in talking to various people that try to dig into this stuff. I've been told that there's just a handful of people now that own those handful of companies that run everything. Did you run into that or is it almost impossible to get to those numbers? Well, it's, it's kind of hard. Um, you can look up who owns, uh, who was on their board of directors and we can look up how much stock they have. We can look at cross investments. Uh, we know that of the 17 giants, they have 400 billion cross-invested in each other, and that's just in NASDAQ. Um, so there's a number of other funds, European funds and that kind of stuff that it's harder to trace down. But, um, you know, we were quite able to establish that they are con they're all interconnected. They all invest in each other. They literally all know each other because there's only a few hundred of them. 
Um, and many of them, they, they do go to Davos. A lot of them end up at the Grove, um, to the men. And um, that's the, you know, there's this network that we are calling the transnational capitalist class that is, is an emerging, they have similar backgrounds. And so when we go through the book and you read the backgrounds of these 300 plus people, um, you clearly understand they come from private schools, they have money, um, they're interconnected, they live in the major cities. Are they, um, are they almost groomed? I mean, it's not, is it a big fallacy that somebody who comes out of, I mean, you always get a rare case, but somebody who comes out of the ghetto or somebody who comes out of just a blue collar neighborhood who hasn't gone to these private wealthy clubs, for them to become an entrepreneur and make it big, is that really a fa fairy tale? Well, about half are self-made in the sense that they came from money anyway, for the most part, kind of like Trump, whose dad gave him a whole pile of money to start his businesses with. But, um, you know, and then they then they built and expanded from that. But a good a, a quarter of them inherited their wealth, like the Waltons and, 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 and that. Uh, and then there's people who are in the right place with the right business, uh, Microsoft, you know, Google. Facebook, the, the people that run those, that organize those, and still have maybe 5% or 10% of the stock, they're the, they're the multi-billionaires. Oh, I in, see. In the so they, you mean they just happen to be one of the first employees kind of thing? Yeah, or they were the founders. Okay. But Microsoft stock just massively grew and uh, increased in value. And that's what we're seeing with Silicon Valley. And we see that with, with some of the Chinese as well. There's about 300 Chinese that are that are billionaires as well, and they're kind of in the system. Not not as American Western capital is more centralized. Chinese is more controlled overall in terms of who they invest and where. Um, they allow their billionaires to expand and invest outside, but it's not very highly integrated. BlackRock, our largest investment company, just opened an office in Beijing for investments there. Um, and there had been AXA and some of the other European ones were already operating in China, but it's not highly integrated. So there is a separate pile of wealth um, that's Asian, that's Chinese, um, and they invest around the world. And they're kind of in competition with Western capital, particularly in Africa. So, so when, when you were looking at the, the bios, of all these characters, and you said that there's very similar traits. What are some of the similar traits that you're seeing? All the private schools, are a lot of the same schools, are the same families? Is that oh, what you're seeing? Yeah, Harvard, Yale, Harvard and, and Stanford have 20, 28% or so of the top 200. And a lot of them may, that may have gone to another private school that they got their MBA at Harvard or, or somewhere like that. Um, the the private schools and Oxford in England um, are highly represented in, among, this, among these groups of people. Even the people who are from countries like in, in Africa or other places that are, that are extremely rich often went to university in the West. You know, there's all these conspiracy theories, and actually there's some proof of it, that at Bohemian Grove it gets pretty weird. Did you run into any of that? Well, the Bohemian Grove is, is like a big fraternity party. 
I wrote my dissertation on them 25 years ago, and I'm doing updates now. Um, there, 2,400 people are members of the club. We just did a searches on those. I had four students last semester. We did searches on all of them. What we found out is from 25 years ago, there's an increased number of people who are involved in investment capital. So one out of 10 people, about 200 plus at the Grove are investment capital professionals. And they're on a major investment company or they run a private venture capital firm um, or something along those lines. They in turn invite several hundred people a year as guests to attend Grove. And it's all men, there's no women allowed. And, um, and they meet for um, three weekends, two weeks uh, in July. They start in the middle of July. This year it starts on the 13th. Um, they have a ceremony called the Cremation of Care, which is a somewhat bizarre fraternity type um, ritual of men dressed up in monk robes and, you know, uh, ecclesiastical garb, uh, appealing to to leave the cares of the world outside of the grove uh, when you come there to burn care. And uh, they burn a, a skeleton on this gondola that they put out across the lake. The, the orchestra is playing music, and it's all in front of this giant owl, um, a 40-foot concrete owl which represents the spirit of Bohemia and the intelligence of, of and the wisdom of, of humans. And so they go with all these torches and then care mocks them through the, in the forest and says, you can't burn care. And all their torches go out except for the one light. And there's one burning light in front of the, the owl. And they appeal to the wisdom of the owl. They relight the torches, burn care, fireworks go off. I mean, it's fairly kind of strange, and they've been doing it for almost a hundred years. So uh, they changed the wording on the on on the, what they're saying, but it, but it's I saw it one time, and uh, they they actually had to bring the fire engine out because one of the trees caught on fire. Um, it's it, but it's an all male, you know, exchange, and then from there, these people are incredibly powerful people. At least one out of five is is a high level CEO. And increasingly now, we're seeing the investment management people who are controlling capital funds around the world attending. So that's the kind of the research we're doing right now in terms of who these people are and how, you know, and how they, who they invite. And, and it tends to be this orgy. <laughs> that's what I'm, you know, like bringing prostitutes and all that other stuff. Yeah, well, that, that, if, it, if that happens, it's done outside of the grove. They don't do that inside. Oh, okay. You know, it's, there's... It's pretty straightforward. There's nothing bizarre happening. You know, all the uh, burning children, um, hot, you know, conspiracy things mm -hmm. are pretty much bogus. I mean, there's just nothing there. They're burning a skeleton be, that's supposed to be representative of uh, sacrifice. Of the cares of the world, right. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, cares of the world and sacrificing. Yeah, but there were people but like Alan Jones that made big, big... Uh, stories about that he claims he snuck in and um at the time he didn't have to sneak in he could have just walked in the front gate um and but they're after 9-11 their security got much much tighter sure so okay. now they keep um they hire the sonoma county sheriff they have an active uh, 
duty officers there pretty much all the time that are SWAT trained in case of an active shooter and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how the security has changed there at the Grove, particularly since 9-11. Now, you also looked at different organizations where the powerful come together. That's one. Um, but are there other ones where it's more of a concentration well, and it's a little bit more serious? The, the, the groups that I looked at um, are policy makers. The Grove, there's no official policy making. There's a lot of discussion about what we need to do. Same way with Davos. There's no formal policy making there. Or the Bilderberg Group. It's all just discussion. But the groups that I've identified as part of the global power elite are uh, the, the Council of 30. Uh, this is 32 mostly central bankers and economists from all over the world who meet in Washington, D.C. They put policy papers and recommendations out that are seen by the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund as instructions. And they're I mean, very they're powerful. Yeah, they're very, very powerful. I call them the Executive Committee of Global Capitalism. Other groups are like the Trilateral Commission that was formed, but with Rockefeller money uh, back in the early 70s that made up the top corporate people from Europe, U.S., and Japan. Now it has 40 nations in it and over 400 members. And they meet regionally and, and globally um, and are constantly putting out policy papers of recommendations for for direction of, of capital and, and governmental uh, actions that should be taken. The other big group we call the Defenders is the Atlantic Council. And these are member members of NATO nations, um, mostly private citizens. And it's, these all three of these organizations are privately funded. They're not governmental funded. So um, they're made up of elites very powerful business people, some politicians, but mostly business interests um, in terms of protecting global capitalism and ensuring its continued growth and, and development. So those three organizations, I list their members at, on their executive committee as part of the global power elite, in addition to the managers of the global capital. But they're not really promoting, they're not promoting free markets and a de democratic market system that's pushed down to the lowest level. They're promoting capitalism, mercantilism, you know, where all the power's at the top and it's a, it's a small concentration of money instead of a free market that's really spread out. You know, true free market, this isn't free market capitalism, it might be a fascist capitalism or whatever. Well, it's free market in the sense that they want to be able to invest and, and get a return anywhere in the for world yeah. from, other, from democracy movements or other governments. So if you're a government that's interfering with capital growth, uh, their focus will be it's time to have a regime change. Exactly. And, and we see that. That's what happened with Gaddafi. That's I mean, happening all over the world. He was a dictator, uh, but he was a dictator who was taking pretty good care of the people in Libya. Um, and, you know, you got an apartment when you got married, you got free education, um, there was guaranteed, you know, incomes. They were the and, wealthiest in Africa, they did really great, and now it's a humanitarian disaster. It's a, it, it's a huge disaster, and, but Gaddafi's sin was that he tried to create a new currency, yes. an African currency based on gold, to sell oil in and get the African countries to go along with that. And that wasn't going to fly with France and Germany and the U.S. And they took him out. I mean, it was literally a NATO intervention um, with um, 
mercenaries brought in. Uh, in fact, Mujahideen mercenaries who had actually been fighting in Bosnia were shipped down with U.S. help into Libya to create a so-called civil war. Um, and, you know, they ended up taking, taking him out. We tried to do the same thing in Syria, but the Russians got behind uh, the Syrian government. It didn't happen. Well, now it's turning. I mean, it's just more and more people are dying. Um, and they, the thing is, is they want to they want to stop somebody from taking over their free market, their free ability to do whatever they want. But then they don't come in and make sure the local people are are not destroyed. The humanitarian disaster that they created, they left. I mean, they. It's a humanitarian disaster, not only because of the war and the refugees. Sixty-five million people in the world are refugees today. Um, both from environmental and, and direct warfare. Um, but, you know, those are secondary to capital in terms of global capital companies and, and their ability to continue to see growth and expansion. So they don't want any interference from governments um, in any capacity. So that's one of the reasons there's strong efforts to undermine Maduro in Venezuela exactly. today. Exactly. Um, well, a free market... Let's talk about a free market. Gaddafi would have been able to do what he wanted to do in a true free market. That's what the point of it is. No, no exactly. But it's not free. It's exactly. free for yeah, their yeah. capital. No. And, it's and BS. they want no interference, and that's what they mean by that. That's what they mean by democracy, too. It's democracy for elites, it's top down. It, it, and, it, yes. uh, and that's it, why. starts to become you know, proletariat based, Yes. Uh, they're, they're, they're just going to deny that as best they can and use the power of their military and police state controls uh, and information control today to, to repress any movements that are going to challenge that. Well, and that's why we're seeing the censorship today, right? I mean, Google oh. was really exposed the other day when they talked about we're the biggest, we're the only company big enough to be able to control it. Well, that's the point. You're not supposed to be able to control speech and <laughs> open debate. No, no, that's that's very true. And and my chapter six in in Giants focuses on what we call the ideologists, and that's the corporate media structures, the the big six. Um, media organizations in the world today, and they have most of the news content. And their content isn't collected. They don't like hire people to go collect the news. They essentially hire people to manage news provided to them by public relation companies and the public relation offices and corporations and government. So there's these giant public relation PR firms, Omnicom, WPP, and Interpublic Group, which we identify in the book, and all their clients, including you know about everything you would see in a Safeway store, um, and governments um, all over the world, and, and departments of state, and, and the military, and the I mean, all of them have public relation arrangements to put out news stories that the corporate media uses as, as content. So something like 80% of the content in the corporate media television news today is coming from a PR firm. Uh, it's packaged news. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they've also made it legal to do propaganda in the Smith-Mutt Act, just what, under Obama, his last four years. So now it's actually legal to do propaganda against us. Well, it was all propaganda. I mean, it has been for a long propaganda time. as the ability to persuade people to your point of view 
Um, I mean, which is by kind of the definition of it. Um, whether it's true or not doesn't matter. It's it's meant to persuade you to understand the world in the way that the corporate elite wants you to understand it. And the and scary so, part. We call them the ideologists. They're the controllers. It's mind control. Exactly is. Yes, it is. Uh, the, I just did a show with Dave Janda where I talked about mind control, and it gets even deeper than that. And I, I, it can get almost to tinfoil hat level, and I say, okay, you got to stop and make sure there's proof and documents to what's actually going on. But it's there's a lot they can do with that. But you know the actions that they're doing when they start to shut down good information. You know, like and I don't want to get into a. Uh, global warming or uh, climate change debate here because that's not what this show is about at this point you know we're not here to do that but the science that they're putting out about that to me and what i've read I'm, i come from an engineering background and everybody around me does it's not accurate you know there is there is global change but it's more from pollution and all these other things not from how they're communicating it and i'm seeing it in pharmaceuticals i'm seeing it in so much part of science and it seems like it's always to just further their agenda of selling their goods instead of caring about the welfare of the people well yeah and you mentioned you know drug drug companies in terms of them selling us products um and the impacts that it has the you know the the oil companies selling us, you know, making sure we're using oil products, which are destroying the world. And they have uh, alternatives that they could be developing. Exactly. And, and not. And the U.S. now is one of the major oil producers in, in, in the world, exporters, because of fracking and, and all the environmental impacts that that is doing on our, you know, on the, on our water systems and that. So, we are faced with some very serious um, environmental consequences to upon us immediately. Uh, we're all, it's already affecting us, um, and it will affect us and continue to affect us in negative ways that could lead to um, human extinction. And and I don't say that lightly. I mean that, that's 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 part of, of of the danger of where we're headed. Well, and they're messing, they're doing experiments with stuff and they're, they're trying to affect weather and, you know, there's government reports and of studies that they're doing and there's just so much stupid things that they're doing. Now, in your research, you um, actually looked at the owners of these media companies and, you know, we've been talking about a long time that there's six owners, but in my research and people saying that there's, again, that there's a few behind those six owners. Have you come to any of those conclusions or any seen any of that? Or again, is it hard to get to that information? Well, no, we can, you can go to MSNBC or you can go to uh, ABC and Disney Corp and you can see the degree to which these giant investment companies are own stock and it's huge. You know, they'll have 40, $50 billion invested in a company. They 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 are highly invested in the media companies. They're highly invested in in the uh, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, the war companies. Um, they're highly invested in Silicon Valley. These are areas where they're perceived as having a you know a, a likelihood of positive return. So um, the, the money gets very concentrated there, and you can see the largest investors uh, through Nasdaq of the company are public. And uh, we were able to determine, um, you know, high numbers. I have the numbers in the book. 
of each of the six media companies and how the giants are invested. Yeah, and it's they they realize the they realize the importance of controlling the average people and the masses so that they'll stay. Um, they can control them. You talk about mind control, so they can control them so they won't rise up and create problems for them. Well, that, that's certainly part of it and part of the protection of, of global capital. But you have these giant investment companies, and there was a couple new ones, that, and there's now like 20 that have over a trillion dollars, um, all invested in each other. So there's, there's this giant cluster of, of centralized capital managed by just these few hundred people that are making the decisions whether or not to invest in ABC or Coca-Cola or, or Lockheed Martin. And with full knowledge that Coca-Cola puts out a billion, hundred million single-use plastic Coke bottles a year worldwide, and it takes 400 years to um, for a plastic Coke bottle to deteriorate in the environment. I mean, so they have these oceans of, of yeah, plastic islands of the, of the sea um, that are part of this. And so, yes, they are fully aware of that. And we could have hemp bottles that were, you know, deteriorate in 90 days. Uh, the technology is there. You could put Coke in them. Uh, but that's not, I mean, there's all this vested capital that's engaged in this. And their biggest concern is getting that return, keeping their capital safe, uh, and continuing to see it grow and expand. Despite the consequences, it's like full steam ahead. What seems like they're just so, like, mindless and they just I got to make money and they're mindless to what what the consequences are they would deny that they would say that they are trying to um, solve the problems of the world by continuing to see growth and expansion that they hope will trickle down they want to privatize social security and get it get us all into this and, and make it inevitable that we have to continue to, to see this kind of growth and expansion or the world will collapse, and, they, and they, that's how they—that's how they perceive it. And there needs to be other alternatives to that, include, you know, and, and that gets into well, what do we do? Yeah, well, you uh, got solutions now. Before we get into solutions, which we got to get into, people want to hear that. Have you gotten a pushback? I, you know, not, people are accepting what you're saying. I, I know people like me would be listening, and my listeners would be the listening. But is, is almost a complete blackout by okay. corporate media okay that's what i'm asking of, a lot of left-leaning uh what we would think of as progressive media they just don't review uh giants the, the power elite but it's the book itself now has been out since almost it'll be a year in august um we're now going we're now going to be in six languages we're into the third printing and um it's increasingly being used on college campuses. So it's, it's been a gradual growth because of the nature of the book and, and what it's about. It's just not available. Um, that kind of centralized information is just simply not available elsewhere. Um, so it is increasingly having an impact. Well, that's good. I mean, people need to learn and read different sources. And if it's completely, it's hard when things are blacked out. Obviously, I'm being censored pretty hard as well. And it's very frustrating. So I would assume you would be blacked out. But what solutions are you, you put in there? I love the fact that you're doing solutions because I think it gets people thinking about options. Well, we, to, we have a letter at the end of the book 
that's addressed to the global power elite, the 389 people that we name in the book. And we say, dear global power elite, you are, you know, you're in very powerful positions. You manage huge amounts of capital. Um, and there's these huge consequences that are, that are, you know, ongoing. All these people are dying every day from starvation when there's more than enough food to feed everybody. Uh, a third of the food in the world gets thrown away because it's not profitable to sell it. Um, so we don't feed people with it. We just throw it away. Um, same way with the environmental impacts. Uh, and we're saying, you know, you, you've got grandchildren for the most part. You need to be thinking about them, their lives and, and their grandchildren's lives in terms of the future. And something has to be done. And we don't have an exact prescription other than to say that we want to enforce universal declaration of human rights and that, that capital is not trickling down. There needs to be a river of capital downward so that everybody in the world has adequate resources to have a, a standard of living uh, adequate, that's safe, that, that meets everybody's needs. We have more than enough wealth to do that. Um, and it could be done in small increments from their wealth in, in a very huge way, but they would have to agree to do that, or we would have to see an economic collapse and war and civil wars to take it away from them. I would hope to avoid that aspect. I think it's inevitable that we'll see that kind of economic collapse. You can't continue to concentrate wealth without, um, you know, it, it just can't happen inevitably. Well, there's a mathematical so formula that when a certain amount of wealth gets into the hands of a few people and the, you know, the top percent has a certain amount of wealth more than the bottom a revolution occurs and i think we're to that point well, and they, they have to be very careful they, about but, that but they, you know the world's a different place now i mean we have global military structures nato and the u.s have 800 bases worldwide um and and we're increasingly seeing private militarization so g4s is the second largest employer in the world um based out of out of london has 625,000 um, employees, and so they're just behind Walmart in terms of private employees in the world. They're mercenaries. They're, they're guards. They run prisons. They run security systems. They had the dogs in North Dakota that were attacking the protesters up there on the pipeline. I mean, this is, you know, serious, repressive, militaristic police state control. That is, is one response to potential civil unrest. Um, and that's happening worldwide. So it's, it, it's, they can't continue to do that inevitably. And there will be resistance and continue to resistance. And we ask them to realize that and to take steps in, along with social movements and democratic movements that are engaged all over the world right now. Um, to make a changes that will affect capital and its use and, and, and have allow greater sharing with everybody in the world. I mean, I think that's the solution when we get right down to it, is that people need to be supported um, at the grassroots level and allowed to have lives of existence and productivity. And the more we support people, the more we engage, they're allowed to engage in, in activities that are good for society the better off we will all be. So that's that's, that's the solution in, in that sense. And we have to pressure them to do that. I mean, they're not going to just roll over and say, yeah, here's all my wealth. Or even a <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's happening. 
where can people get a copy of your book? Uh, well, we encourage people to get it through projectcensored.org. Um, I was very active with Project Censored for a long time, and I was the director, but projectcensored.org is, is one place, but it's available in all the, uh, from all of the um, online and bookstores all over the world. Now in Spanish, Portuguese, it's going to be coming out in Japan. It just came out in, in Japanese. It just came out in Korean. Um, and it'll be in Turkish and Farsi. Do you have a website or a blog or anything people can see more of your work? Uh, ProjectCensored.org, a lot of my work is there. You can search my name, Peter Phillips, and my writings are there. Um, that's where I post uh, most of the time. I'm also post a lot on, on um, global research out of Canada, um, but uh, Michelle Choskodowski's site. But I've been writing publicly for a long time. I have, this is my 18th book, and a lot of them were Project Censored books before that, and, uh, and I'm working on the next one, which is on the Bohemians. Oh, it is. I might have to have you back for that. I'm going to have to have you back just in general if I see some blog that you do that's like, oh, perfect. So thank you so much for coming and joining my program. I really appreciate the information that you shared and all the research that you're doing on this. Well, Sarah, thanks a lot. I, I'm glad to be on your show, and uh, I hope people are able to get a hold of Giants and uh, and read about the power elite and, and use that and have it as a reference book. I mean, this is a who's who, and the people that are making the decisions about all of our lives in the world, and we need to know who they are. And you may have access to some of them, and, and you can pressure them and write them and say, you got to fix this. Well, has anybody reached back to you with your letter that went to them? Has anybody contacted you back? No. Well, <laughs> I, I knew the answer, but we, I had to ask. We New York um, <laughs> last August, and we we're at Fordham University hosted us, and, and uh, we had a room full of people. I invited the 50 or so of the people who were in New York to come, and none of them even responded. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, whatever. And they're hard to reach. I mean, you can. Sure. I send emails or letters, care of their corporation, um, but it's pretty hard to find their home addresses or oh, email I'm numbers sure. or anything like that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah.